When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So they're in like the conference room and I basically, Devin, burst into the conference room, summoning up all the power (laughs) of the dark side. I press the heavy breathing button. Then I press the talk button. And I think I said something like, I find your lack of faith disturbing. And then like I sliced and diced with the lightsaber for a few seconds. And then I just darted out of the room fearing like, you know, always leave them wanting more, I guess. Everyone knows we like to play around here on the Dagobah Dispatch, and that is exactly what we are going to do this week. We're going to play. That's because we're going to be talking about our favorite Star Wars toys and merch ever. We're taking it back, in my case, a long time back, to chat about our favorite pieces of Star Wars memorabilia and licensed products. Shout out to Kenner. Uh, But don't worry. If it's Star Wars news and celebrities you came for, we got that too. John Favreau and Dave Filoni are joining us this week to chat all about, well, honestly, everything. We'll talk The Mandalorian, we'll talk Ahsoka, we'll talk Skeleton Crew, and we'll talk about the upcoming movie that Dave Filoni is going to be directing it. Uh, you want it? You got it? Uh, it's all coming up right here, right now, on the day of a dispatch. I'm Dalton Ross, joined as always by Devin Kogan. Uh, we're down a body now, Devin. I know. I'm. This is our first show without Lauren Morgan, um, and I'm missing her. But um, I'm excited to to talk about some some merch and toys and mysterious things. This is uh, LAL Life After Lauren. If you missed the podcast last week, shame on you. Uh, but uh, Lauren Lauren got another fantastic job opportunity, so she left EW. She actually left EW a few weeks ago, but stayed around to be on the pod through the Mandalorian. Uh, and it was cute. I don't know if you saw this, Devin, but I saw on our on our Apple podcast page, uh, there was a new review for our podcast that just said, good luck, Lauren, was the subject. Aww. And then the actual review was just like 20 exclamation marks. So, <laughs> good. So, yeah. Yay. That makes me happy. Well, you you guys can still follow Lauren on, on social media. She's at Morglar. And um, I have a feeling she's going to come back sooner rather than later for guest opportunities we're still friends and and um i i think we have not heard the last of lauren morgan like a force ghost returning from the ether you know i feel like we should sort of talk some trash about her just to see if she's listening still like you know what i mean just sort of like to be like actually i think the cloning plot in rise of skywalker is fantastic and also i think ahsoka is just kind of a lame character and has like had no character development over the course of you know rebels and clone wars and uh yeah also that was a good impression you just did of her sister, by the way. It was really good. Spot on. Who cares about Ahsoka? That's right. Who's Ahsoka? Why is she in your top 10? Incredible. Uh, How incredible. much would you pay just to be at like the 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 Morgan like family Thanksgiving table? Just to, just to, just to go at it. It's so great. Just in like, well, while the rest of the, you know, normal families argue about politics or whatever, uh, I yeah. like to think that Lauren and her sister just argue about Star Wars. It's, uh, as we all do, as we all do. I mean, that's most of my family dinners, let's yep. be real. 
All right. So like I mentioned, John Favreau, Dave Filoni, uh, we got good stuff talking about Exciting. all the TV shows and the upcoming movie that Dave's going to be directing that, that John sounds like he's going to be producing. So we're going to get into all that with them. But we thought we'd have some fun because, listen, we're not just about the movies and the TV shows. We're about Star Wars stuff. And I'll tell you, this, this, the timing on this is perfect, Devin, because I'm having a bunch of work done in the house, as you know. And so we have all these, these big closets up on our, our, our third floor. And I had to clean them all out. And as I was taking all these boxes out of the closets because the workers got to get in there, I realized like – I'd say like maybe 58% of the stuff in my closet is just Star Wars stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like just like toys, things still in boxes and contain like just sitting there in bags. And it's funny, and I guess I've kept a lot of them in original containers, thinking like, oh, they're more valuable, but then I just kind of throw them in a closet and they've gotten damaged anyway in like a bag, so it's pretty stupid. But lots of Star Wars stuff. We're always talking about our favorite movies or TV shows or characters. And I thought this time we would just talk about our favorite stuff. And we each picked our three favorite Star Wars sort of toys or merchandise items that we have. And we'll sort of go back and forth from three to one and, and talk about them. So, um, Devin, I'll let you go first. Why don't you hit, hit, us, hit us all up with your third favorite Star Wars uh, merch or toy item. And I'll tell everyone, anyone listening, please hit us up on social media or send us a, re- a review and tell us your favorite Star Wars thing because everyone has cool stuff and I love hearing about it. And I can't wait to hear what you've got on your list. Devin. I've, I had so much fun compiling this list because I was like, oh my God, I have so much Star Wars stuff. Like I'm sitting here, I've got my BB-8 teapot over here yes, that was do. free and given to me. Um, I have somehow become somebody who collects lunchboxes just because friends keep giving them to me. I have an Empire Strikes Back lunchbox over there. Um, I've got I had a, a Star of, Wars, original Star Wars one. You know, yeah. you gotta. Um, and I, I just, I have so much weird stuff that that people have given me over the years. Um, but I think I want to start with one that is supremely stupid. It is going to be the stupidest thing on our list. It's amazing. But it brings me so much joy. And I know I've sent you and Lauren um, videos of this before, which is that if you are a pet owner, you know that Petco has a Star Wars line where they make all sorts of absurd Star Wars related things like costumes, bandanas, chew toys, food bowls, you name it. Um, and I have cats, two cats, Jasper and Jupiter, and they are obsessed with these little like catnip toys that are uh, shaped like Star Wars ships. So we have um, the Death Star. We have the Millennium Falcon and we have a little tiny TIE fighter. And my cats, they, these are the only toys they like. They will carry them around from room to room, just like happily meowing. And they are obsessed with these. And I've sent you guys videos of my cats like rolling the Death Star around my apartment. Um, so these, they are certainly, are they the most impressive Star Wars merch? Not necessarily. Are they the ones that bring me the most joy on a daily basis? Absolutely. Well, I mean... Not to not to diss and dismiss these particular toys, but couldn't you? I, I have three cats myself, so couldn't you pretty much put catnip in anything? Oh, absolutely! <laughs> and the cats would love it and be carrying it around and be like, I mean, your cats were are, are stoned to the bejesus, right? Oh, like they're absolutely. just like completely out of their minds. But I will say, like, I have a bunch of catnip toys <sighs> just because I have cats and people give sure. me catnip cat related things over the years. I have like literally a whole basket of them, but this is their favorite. Like they will, they, they will leave the other ones away. The, the only other one they love is I do have um, a, a, catnip sword that they're very into that they like to carry around you and your swords you look and your- i 
like stabbing swords. instruments. I, you know, we love lightsabers. We love swords. I mean, look, I'm a, I'm a simple girl, but no, I told you it was a supremely stupid one, but it's definitely brings me so much joy. So how do you, do you have to like periodically add catnip to like the, the X-wing or whatever, or you how gotta, does that work? You got to re catnip occasionally yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just to, to really get the, the official, <laughs> you know, to, to re up it. But they're, I mean, I've caught them just carrying them or they just carry them around. I find, I wake up and find them in my bed and I'm like, why is there a small TIE fighter like on my pillow? That's amazing. It's, it's, it's honestly, I cannot recommend enough. If you are a pet owner, highly, highly recommend. I'm going to check it out. We have a Petco near us here in the Dirty Jurors. And obviously, like I said, we have a bunch of cats and they like the catnip. Um, and I like to watch them roll around in the catnip. And so I'm going to hit it up. I'm going to hit it up. I'm going to take your recommendation and I'm going to get them just high as hell on the dark <laughs> side. Uh, I, I support this. I want to know whether your cats lean towards like, are they like Millennium Falcon cats or are they Death Star cats? Because my cats death, are apparently Death, death Star. Star cats. Yeah, mine's a Death Star too. Let's be, let's be, I mean, one of them's named Fang. The other one's Claude, C-L-A-W-E-D. And then the other one's all black is named Crookshank. So I don't know, maybe she's more of a Horcrux gal, um, but- You know, respect. We'll have to see how that, see how that goes. All right, that's a, that's <laughs> I a told good you one. It was a, I told you it was no. a very stupid one to kick it off, but we're- I have a stupider one coming up. Don't, don't you wait. worry about that. I can't wait. All right, so I, I, you know, I've got so much Star Wars stuff, and I try to think of things that sort of represent. You know, I, when you have millions of Star Wars things, I, I was trying to think of things that sort of just either represent the collection. I put in quotes. It's not really a collection; it's just stuff. Represent like the stuff I have, or represent like my time in my life in Star Wars. So I'm going to go back all the way to when I was a kid, and uh, I was, you know, six years old when the first movie came out. And so right when those first toys came out, right? And I was getting them all and and uh, collecting everything. I mean, everything I was getting. The only thing I think I never got, which was so jealous was, was an AT-AT. Or excuse oh. me, AT-AT. Never had it <laughs> and was so jealous, but I had everything else. Like, And then I went away to college. Uh, and my mom you know, assuming, oh, I have a son who's now an adult and he's 18 years old and he's at college. So I'll gonna take these toys and give them away to Goodwill. No. <laughs> yes. She, uh, she, she didn't get rid of the figures, but she, uh, Death Star, gone. <gasps> Dagobah playset, gone. X-Wing, <gasps> gone. Everything, 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 everything. And my favorite toy from back then, which is not the one I'm gonna, I'm gonna list, but my favorite one was probably the TIE Fighter. The original TIE Fighter, because what was so cool about the original TIE Fighters, first off, you'd make the noise. You know, so hey, that, was a, that was a really bad impersonation. But, you know, maybe Sammy wants to throw in now the TIE Fighter noise as it streaks by <laughs> and make me sound better. All right, Sammy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set you up and you put it in. Ready? So, yeah, the TIE Fighter makes this noise. It sounds kind of like this. Okay. So, uh, hopefully, Sammy just put that in. Uh and so what was cool about it is that, that it also just had a little button. And when you pressed a button, the wings of it fell off. So basically it'd been shot, right? Like, so you'd be like, you'd have your X-Wing in your left hand and your TIE fighter in your right hand. And you'd be like, <laughs> and then you would just, with your right hand, hit a button and the, the, the TIE fighter wings would fall off because it had been shot and killed by the X-Wing. Super cool. Ugh. But it, but anyway, I used to go down to vacation in a place called Sea Island, Georgia, Devin. And Sea Island, Georgia, 
had this place called the Cloister that basically was known for having a great dessert called the Gold Brick Nut Sunday. And they did bingo. And bingo was a big deal. Everyone would get dressed up. I'm sitting there probably like, I don't know, eight years old, nine years old. And that's sort of the kids' table. My adults were off partying with other people. And they're calling out the numbers. And I had bingo. So I, I, you're supposed to stand up and yell bingo, right? So I did it. And they're like, oh, well, come on up. And this was for like big money, uh, at least for me. And it was a $200 pot. So I, I yell bingo and I go up and my mom is freaking out because she's like, this idiot does not have bingo. He messed it up somehow. This is super embarrassing in front of all my friends. But I did have bingo. And one of the other guys that called up had bingo too. So we split it. So I got $100, right? Wow. I'm like seven, eight years old. Something like I'm like, oh my God, I got all this money. And my parents say, all right, we're going to take that money and we're going to set up a bank account. You can buy one thing and then everything, everything else is going to the bank account. So by the way, they lied. They never set up the bank account. They stole the rest of the money. Totally <gasps> stole the rest of the money. Never saw it again in my life. Oh my but God. I did get to buy that one thing and I bought the Millennium Falcon. It was like $35, which again, back in like, we're talking like, this is like 1979 or something. There's a lot of money. And I bought the Millennium Falcon. It was huge. And you could take the top off and you could move things around. You could put figures in there. It was so cool. And it was mine until my mom threw it away when I went to college. Um, and I loved that thing so much. And I was so proud of it. And it was like, in your face, I won bingo as I fly the Millennium Falcon around, like shooting off wings of, of uh, the, the, uh, the TIE fighter. It was super cool. So I miss it, uh, but it was a big part of my life. Oh, that's amazing. I There's something really special about like being a kid and having money for the first time and like purchasing something for yourself. Like it's yes. one thing to be like, mom, dad, I want this thing. But to like actually like I, you know, I, I still remember like the first CD I ever bought with my with my own money. You know, there's something I like, really- What was it? Um, it was, I was actually a twofer. It was uh, Beatles uh, number one and in ah, sync, no strings attached. <laughs> <laughs> Baby, the 90s, baby. That's it. That's <laughs> it. High, high and low. You, you know, go high and low. Absolutely. But it's funny that yeah, I think that that's fantastic. I, oh. I want to see these uh, TIE fighters where the wings fall off. Because They're I so cool. Uh, the postscript to all of this, by the way, Devin, is like I said, my mom threw away all my Star Wars big sets and ships. But like, I guess all my figures were in a bag somewhere and she, I guess, couldn't find them. So I still had all my original, most of my original Star Wars figures. So when my son was little... I handed him my original Luke Skywalker. Aww. I was like, oh man, this is so cool. It's my original Luke Skywalker. And now my son's playing with it. And those of a certain age will remember it had a little lightsaber in the arm and you pressed the little, like slide the thing up and the lightsaber would come out of his hand. My son Dale broke that within like 10 seconds, like literally <laughs> snapped it off within 10 seconds. Of I'm like, ah, it's worth money. And like, it's, it's memories. Done. Yeah, it's uh, real bummer. The Huge number bummer. of like collectible toys that were, you know, chewed on by dogs or ruined by children or but I mean that's what they're for. That's what they're for. So, but that is tragic. My heart would break a little bit. All right, Devin, what's uh what's number 2 on your list for your favorite toy or merch item? We're going to have similar vibes on on number 2. I um it's interesting that you were 6 when uh the original Star Wars came out cuz I was 6 when Phantom Menace came out cuz I am a, again, child of the 90s. Um and there was so much weird stuff released around Phantom Menace, Attack the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith. Like it was such a weird time to be like six years old because they made so much stuff. We've talked on the show about like the Jar Jar merchandise. We've talked about um 
one of uh, something that was very uh, influential for me and my younger brother was uh, Kellogg's released these light up lightsaber spoons um, that like you could eat your cereal with and they would actually like flash green or blue or whatever. Um, and incredible. I mean, the number of lightsaber fights I had over breakfast with my brother was very high. Um, but for me, the thing that really like cemented my Star Wars like toy fandom when I was a kid is, you know, Kenner wasn't as much of a big deal for the kids who were my age. You know, that that's such a generational touch point for, um, you know, kind of OG trilogy fans. But for me, it was all about the Star Wars Legos. Oh my God, Star Wars Legos were my life. Between my brother and I, we always got one for our birthday or whatever, like some little set. Um, and sometimes they were like little tiny, you know, uh, TIE fighters or like little miniature Boba Fett ships or whatever. But, but the, the crown jewel, the absolute best was the Millennium Falcon. I mean, come on, you can't go wrong with the Millennium Falcon. It's the same reason you picked yours. Um, now this wasn't the fancy, like, $800 Millennium Falcon that they came out with in recent years, which I also still wish that I had as an adult with my own money. I've seriously thought about buying it. Um, but this was like, I don't know, this must have been like 2004, 2006, something, somewhere around there. And it was so cool because it was the regular Millennium Falcon, but then you could like open it up, open up the top and you could see into it. So you could see into the cockpit and you could see like the little holochess table. And it came with, you know, Han and Leia and Chewie. And I don't think it came with Luke, but I think we had Luke from something else. We just had a zillion, a zillion Legos everywhere. And oh my God, I mean, just assembling the Millennium Falcon and then flying it around and then obviously probably dropping it at some point and it shattering everywhere and then having to rebuild it. Ah, uh, that was just that was the that was my entire childhood. Yeah, and my entire adulthood because I have two right? children and and they were and we would we were totally like so we had slave 1 we built. We have the like the I don't even know what you call it. It's like the droid troop holder in like in Naboo. Remember where it drops all the troops yeah. off to fight the Gungans, like whatever that thing was called. That was like a massive put together. With all the little battle droids yep, that were- Yep, ugh. and they came, and the little battle droids came in there. It was so cool. So good, so, so good. So we had tons of those sets. And of course, you know, I had a little, I don't know, if, you know, you mentioned that, you know, fall and drop and break. And that was the problem is that we put it together, then inevitably it would fall off a shelf and shatter and break everywhere and there'd be drama and what have you. But super fun to put together. And a, and a great, you know, as a parent, I'll speak as the parent, like, Wow, that's a great way to keep your kid busy, man. That's not yes. just sitting in front of a TV. That is a great way where you feel actually good about the way you're keeping your kid busy so you can kind of like slide off and do other stuff. Like Christmas morning, it was like six straight hours of silence, you know, just building Legos. Um, and the fun part about it was, you know, I, you know, you have different Legos and you're like, all right, what if Harry Potter met, it was on the Millennium Falcon and oh my God, we have Indiana Jones over here and now we have Han Solo and they're going to like go on an adventure together. And, uh, incredible. I'm still a Lego person. I still, um, I have been eyeing the, the giant Rivendell set that Lego just released and I want someone to give me $600 so that I can build it. But, um, uh, it's just, it's what a, what a embarrassment of riches. And we've talked on this podcast quite a bit about how, um, Lauren and I especially are such huge fans of the Lego Star Wars, uh, video games. They yes. like, I'm so impressed by them and really smart storytelling and like delightful and, just to me, like Lego, I mean, obviously Lego has a zillion different brands that it's associated with, but 
to me, it'll always be about Lego Star Wars because that to me is just, it's, it's magical. My, my kids were really close for this past Christmas to buying themselves the Hogwarts Castle, which is mm. 6,020 pieces, $470. Uh, they didn't do it. They didn't pull the trigger on it, but they were talking about it. See, I had like the original Hogwarts Castle that was released in like 2001 or whatever when Sorcerer's Stone came out. And that's back when like all the Lego minifigures still like had yellow faces. Like they were like right. the traditional like yellow brick you know, colors, um, except Snape was like made out of like glow in the dark plastic. And I always thought that was funny because if you held Snape up to the light and then turn the lights off, you would glow in the dark. That's so cool. Um, but yeah, it's still in my closet at home in my childhood bedroom. It's like literally there's a shelf in my closet that has my Lego Hogwarts on it, but it's not as impressive as the fancy new ones they make now, but it was still cool. Side and note, I do yeah. I do love you gave a shout out to the Kellogg's toys. I So when Phantom Menace yeah. came out, I was going to... This is as a grown adult, mind you. <laughs> I was going to Taco Bell every mm. week because they had a new Phantom Menace toy with like their stupid, you know, Happy Meal burrito or whatever every single week. So I would go and I'd get two of them because I'm a dork. One of them I'd open and play with, again, grown adult. And the other one, I guess, like I would just keep in case it was worth something. Like, And so I was literally going to Taco Bell twice a week. Um, my diet was not too sweet in those days to get dumb Phantom Menace toys. Um, so, all right. So my, my second one here, I got to take you back to a past life of mine before I worked at entertainment weekly, before I was even in journalism and I worked in the music business and I worked at a record label and distributor called Caroline records. And occasionally Devin, I would go to these conventions that I guess a lot of, um, vendors had, and you were hoping that some big place that, you know, maybe like a, I'm just making this up. A Best Buy buyer would go there and see, oh, like there's this label and they've got these cool CDs and records and we should stock these. So, um, and, and so you go to this convention and you'd have your little booth set up, right? Where you'd have all your stuff. So we had a bunch of CDs and music stuff. At some point you would say to the person that was there at the booth, you, Hey, I'm going to go walk, just walk around just to check things out. Right. And there's always like like some of the booths that have random celebrities there. I remember George Clinton being there once. And that was super cool. And I was like talking to George Clinton. There were always like porn stars there. There was like adult film stars like sure. <laughs> hanging out, like signing pictures of themselves. Um, and but you would what I started to realize after going to some of these and talking to to uh, people that have done it more often is like you can do a little bit of like bartering and trading, right? Like you have all these things. You've got like free stuff to give away to people to check out. So. You'd go up to a booth and be like, hey, you know, would you want some CDs and I can grab this in, you know, in response. So there was this one place that had these really cool, so I thought, Empire Strikes Back limited edition collector film cells. And so oh. I was trying to like, I'd be like, hey, do you want, like, do you want some CDs? I can maybe grab one or one or two of these. And the guy was really like, ah, I don't know about that. I mean, clearly I was. I was going to get the better end of this deal. And he knew it. So he's like, I don't know. So I, I had to keep kind of checking throughout the day. And he's like, listen, if I got any leftover at the end of the day, like, sure. So of course, like if the thing was going to five o'clock at like 5.01, I was at his booth. And sure enough, I brought a bunch of CDs and I gave it to him and he gave me some of these Empire Strike Back film cells, which I have. Little show and tell for you, Devin. I have oh them right here. Gosh. I found these in my closet. I've got three of them. One of them is a um, 
Well, you can't really – it's Chewbacca. You can't see the film cell, but it gives you this fancy package. It's got some Star Destroyers. And if you look at the film cell, it's too dark. It's it's Chewbacca. Yeah. Uh, I got another one where the outside is like Luke with like in the the cave in Dagobah where his, uh, his helmet – he fights himself, Darth Vader, and then the helmet comes off. It's his face. And then you look at the actual film cell and it's uh, Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker fighting, uh, you know, in the Oh, cave. I can see the lightsabers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the third one is, of course, the piece de resistance because it's Boba Fett. And there's Boba Fett and it's his ship Slave One on Bespin about to take off. And so I basically thought these were going to be worth like a bazillion dollars because I didn't know anything. I'm like, oh, my God, film cells. Like these are ri- <laughs> these are original films so- from like 1980. They weren't from 1980. They just got like a new print and they cut them up and they charge a lot of money. So – I, I picked this because I think it's very representative of like me and the fact that I have lots of Star Wars stuff that I've held on to or like I said, kept in the packaging thinking it'd be worth something and is worth absolutely nothing. I looked these up before we came on the show. You could get it for like 10 bucks. Like you can get this thing for like 10. I've held on to this for 20, over 25 years and it's worth probably less than if I just bought it 25 years ago, but yet I still have it and yet I still think it's cool. You You know, that's what you want. You want something that brings you joy. You know, it's, it's like, is it, I I never really understood like the, the collectability for the, like the sake of rarity, because like, you know, if I'm going to like spend money on something, it's because I want to have it and like look at it and enjoy it as opposed to like, I want to save it and sell it later. Um, you know, like I, you know, I think toys are meant to be opened. Uh, you know, art is meant to be displayed and, uh, film cells, cells are meant to be, uh, hung on to. Well, that's the thing. The film cell, you can, there's really no reason to take it out of packaging because then it's just more no. packaging. <laughs> so, there's, nothing you can, there's nothing you can play with. I sh- did show you, just happened to be next to me and no one on the podcast is going to care, but that's where I got this super cool poster I'll show you earlier. It's an Empire yes. Strikes Back poster that I've never seen before anywhere. And it's basically has like a downed AT-AT on Hoth uh, and says Empire Strikes Back. It's very simple and it's very ominous and it's very cool. And obviously I've got lots of uh, Star Wars posters that my wife won't let me put up. <laughs> Uh, so this ends up in a closet or in the basement where it is now. Well, I think that's probably a really good setup for, uh, my number one, uh, which, uh, is also a piece of art. Um, you know, I'm somebody who I love collecting weird pop culture art. I'm sitting here, you know, surrounded by, you know, my Muppet show stuff and my Lord of the Rings stuff. And I love just collecting weird art. Um, and man, there's some incredible Star Wars art, um, specifically, posters. We got to talk about the posters because I think, I mean, some of the most iconic posters of all time. Um, you know, I have an Empire Strikes Back in my bedroom. I have some, you know, prints of the Ralph McQuarrie concept art, which is like some of my favorite. I'm such a Ralph McQuarrie geek. Um, but for my actual number one, um, I have to pick one of my favorite posters of all time, which is still hanging in my childhood bedroom back in Missouri. It's still there. Um, and it's enormous. And it is the uh, 1983 Drew Struzan art for Revenge of the Jedi. I was so um, hoping you were going to say this. I was so hoping you were going to say It's this. the best. It's the absolute it best. Is. It is. It's one of the greatest Star Wars posters uh, ever made um, that never got a proper release. Um, or it was like released and as like a teaser poster, but then they pulled yeah. it all because- it was, they- it was in theaters, Devin. I remember seeing it in theaters when I was, you know, 12 years old or whatever. 
Yeah. So, and it has such a fascinating story behind it. So basically, you know, at the time, George Lucas had wanted to call it Return of the Jedi. They had said, eh, it's kind of a weak title. We need something a little punchier. So they came up with Revenge of the Jedi, um, which, you know, in retrospect, the Jedi aren't really about revenge. It doesn't really track with the themes in the movie. It was a bad choice overall, um, but it's a great sounding title. And so uh, the poster, if you haven't seen it, look it up because it's gorgeous. And it's by Drew Struzan, who's basically... I would argue like the most influential poster artist of, you know, the last hundred years. If you, every like major franchise you've ever loved, he did the poster for Harry Potter, Back to the Future, Indiana Jones, like anything from the eighties, nineties. He did so many of the Star Wars posters. Um, but one of my favorites of his is the Revenge of the Jedi. And it's this big, enormous, like, all red um, with this giant looming Vader mask that's kind of looming over everything. Um, and then there's a smaller inset of uh, Luke fighting Vader. Um, and one of the no noteworthy things is that the lightsaber colors are actually switched. So Luke has a red lightsaber and Vader has a blue lightsaber. And some people over the years have been like, oh, was it a mistake? Like, were they, did they just get it wrong? And um, I think the the believed knowledge is that it was intentional to sort of like play into the, Oh, is Luke going to go to the dark side? Like, Oh my God, that's this like, you know, kind of we're coming off the, like the cliffhanger of empire strikes back and there's all this drama and like, Oh my gosh, but it's just like a beautiful poster. And so I still have it. I think I got it at, um, I think I got it when I was a freshman in college. Um, and I went to C2E2, which is the, one of the big conventions in, in Chicago. Um, and I, I picked up a copy there. It's just a, reprint it's not original or anything but um i remember the guy who sold it to me like tried to like explain to me like what it was and like i haven't had a lot of experiences where i've been like very mansplained to about my my star wars knowledge but um he was like yeah so like it's this whole thing it was like never released and all these things and i was like no yeah i know that's why i'm buying it i know more <laughs> than you <laughs> like it's literally that that meme of ron swanson from parks and rec in the home depot being like hi can i help you find anything i know more than you so that was me buying my my uh revenge of the jedi poster um but i still have it it's still in my childhood bedroom um you know i i think about bringing it out to my apartment one of these days and just hanging on the wall and just going full you know just put just put it in my living room you know yeah <laughs> no it's so cool and again if my wife would let me hang in that's that crap in the in the house i would i would have one too cuz it's so, you're so right just like the story behind it's great the movie's for the most part great and just it doesn't the have any Ewoks on it. I know. So. See, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and the, it's a great looking poster. You're right. Even independent of all that, it's just a really cool looking poster. Um, and a yeah, great I, conversation piece. It is. I'm such a huge fan of Drewster's, and I think he's he's such an incredible artist. And and it's really interesting to me how so much of like what we think about poster art nowadays like comes from his stuff. Like he was, you know, he's very famous for those like beautiful, you know, kind of like floating heads of of you know everybody. And now we we copy those, and it's all like CGI and Photoshop, and it doesn't look nearly as good. But um, I I'm just a huge fan, and I love love that poster. It's awesome. It's a great. It's a great number one. It's tough to beat. I'm not sure I can beat it, <laughs> uh, but I'll try. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with again the uh, the the uh, 1990s when I was a, a grown adult working at Caroline Records, and I went through this phase where I had all this Star Wars stuff I got when I was a kid, Devin. Then I kind of got into college, and you know, when I was doing other stuff, and and then uh, you know, and I was out of college, and I started like getting really into Star Wars stuff again. I like collecting Star and buying lots of weird like a, I had this Darth Vader Star Wars bank. I had this like. R2-D2 like thing that would, you know, talk and move around and do stupid stuff. And then I had this, uh, this other item 
<clears throat> which was a, a Darth Vader voice changing mask. So this I mean, is we had that too. Oh really? <laughs> yes! So this is so this is before the era. Now more recently they've made helmets and the helmets have little mics that make you sound like, you know, a clone trooper or whatever. But this this was very lo-fi. You essentially velcro strapped a Vader mask and oh. this one uh to make you resemble the Dark Lord of the Sith onto your face and the mask was connected to a voice changing box complete with like heavy breathing and talking buttons that you would attach to your belt line. So you're probably wondering, like, you know, what is any possible scenario where you would want to use this contraption? And the answer, of course, is every scenario. Yes. I like oh, my God. Everything. I even brought this thing into work because I was such, such a loser. And this was, this was a massive miscalculation. Because one day, this band who was on our label uh, that some of you may know called the Chemical Brothers stopped by. And the Chemical Brothers were really big then. Like, Electronica was starting to take off, and it was a real big thing. So they were in our office all day because I guess I think they had a show at Irving Plaza that night. And after a while, like you got to keep them entertained, I guess. Um, you know, these are musicians. You got to keep them entertained. I guess nobody had drugs to keep them entertained. So <laughs> at some point, someone said, oh, you know, Dalton's got that stupid Darth Vader thing. Maybe he could sh like show this to Chemical Brothers because apparently they were big Star Wars fans. They'd get kicked out of it. So uh, I also, of course, had a lightsaber handy because I am who I am. Obviously. So they're in like the conference room and I basically, Devin, burst into the conference room, summoning up all the power <laughs> of the dark side. I pressed the heavy breathing button. Then I pressed the talk button. And I think I said something like super lame, like, I find your lack of faith disturbing. And then like I sliced and diced with the lightsaber for a few seconds. And then I just darted out of the room fearing like, you know, always leave them wanting more, I guess. <laughs> And so the Chemical Brothers were in like hysterics. They're like laughing and clapping. And I'm like, man, that was awesome. They love me. I think it took me like two to three years to realize, oh, right. They weren't laughing with me. They were <laughs> laughing at me like this, this dork just sitting there like with a Darth Vader mask on and wielding a lightsaber in a conference room in front of like one of the hottest bands uh, at, at the time. Now, I still have it. Little show and tell time. Here it is. Oh my god! Oh my god! You have the packaging too. It's still in the packaging, although I take it out, and I'm. I, I figure we could give it a try. We could <gasps> give it a little try to see how it actually works. I actually took it this morning. This is the shocking thing. It actually has the nine volt battery in it, and it still works somehow. At least it was working what? this morning. It's not like leaking and corroded. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what I said to my wife. I'm like, it's going to be like gross, but it wasn't. So it says, you know, it's the Darth Vader power talker voice changing mask. It says it transforms your voice into Darth Vader's and it amplifies your voice and has an adjustable match with a special Darth Vader breathing sound effect. Like I said, this is a big sort of contraption that you have to like, it's a two-parter. Like I said, you got to attach it to your belt. Let me open it up. Oh my God. So right. we had like a Darth Vader, like voice changing mask, like, but I don't know. We got it in like 2009 or something. It was not like, and it's like, oh. I don't know. It was whatever. But like, this is, this is yeah. intense. This, this is, is like incredible. early, early, mid nineties. So here's the mask. Stop. And I got to strap it on and then, uh, and then attach it here. Okay. <laughs> so do you want to hear the breathing first? Then we'll try the voice. I don't know Let's hear it. Okay. All right. Hold on one second. I got to, well, I need the mask on for the full effect, right? Let me do this. All right. The mask is on. Hold on. <laughs> okay. I can't, I can't see out of this thing, man. 
Anakin Skywalker had it rough. I can't see on this thing at all. all the right, visibility is, is yeah. it looks like it's not what it should be. I'm going is... to do the, the breathing button first. All right, hold on. <laughs> Hello? No, it's not working. Hold on. Okay, I didn't. I reminder. I didn't change the batteries on this. I may have been a mistake. May have been a, a miscalculation. Oh, but the breathing's incredible. Pretend it sounds really <laughs> ominous and scary. Actually, Sammy, we're gonna do it. Again. Just put Darth Vader from the movie in for me, uh, and and we'll add that in here. And I'm just gonna like basically. Uh, you could use uh, maybe uh, imp- uh, impressive, most impressive. You're not a Joe yet. Whatever you want. It's your call, Sammy. Just put in. And uh, so, Devin, check it out. Here's me using my Darth Vader uh, voice power mask. And check out how similar I sound to the Dark Lord of the Sith. You don't know the power of the dark side. Pretty great, right, Devin? Wow, you sound just like James Earl Jones. I know. It's amazing. It's absolutely incredible. That is incredible. And for those, if you're listening at home, to be clear, this is not like a true Darth Vader helmet. It's literally just a mask that you put over your face. And so like you can see Dalton's ears poking out from the side of it. So when I was a little kid and I was Darth Vader for uh, Halloween, back in like the 70s and 80s, it was like a little plastic mask with like a really thin rope that would like break the second time you put it. And then just like a sheet of plastic that you put on that, that that was a costume. That was a Halloween costume. This is basically like a not much nicer version. It's like hard plastic, but it's the same concept. And you just strap it around your, I'm really upset. It's not working. It was literally working two hours ago. You know, it's, it, it happens. It, it happens. It's funny that you bring that up though. Cause we, I don't know the last time you were in the LA EW office, but probably about five years ago, you know, we get sent weird stuff for work. And I got sent for some reason a bunch of Chewbacca masks, which are like the hard plastic ones. And when you move your mouth, they make the Chewbacca noise. Um, But I didn't just get sent one of them, Dalton. I got sent eight to the EW office, eight of them. So they, to this day, they are scattered around the EW LA office. I have like two on my desk, you know, Sydney Buxbaum who sits next to me has one. They're literally, you'll just wander through the EW offices and see a Chewbacca mask. So if you ever need a Chewbacca mask, don't worry, we have you covered. We I know where to eight. go. I know where to go. Well, listen, just make sure you change the batteries. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, I'm a little scared to open this up and look at the nine volt in here. It's probably pretty, pretty, pretty gnarly. It's but a little, anyway. little rusty, a little corroded, but that is incredible. I love that you have that. And uh, I love that the breathing sounds like it was, I don't know, it sounds like Darth Vader is like on a bad AM radio. <laughs> <laughs> totally. It's like a, on his CB, exactly. like in his trucker, his 18 wheeler. Oh, incredible. Uh, well, it's, a, it's also a disturbing window into my past. Uh, <laughs> I'm learning so window. much about you. I know. I Forget everything you have learned. Like, <laughs> just, I would need to, like, Jedi mind wipe all of you after this uh, podcast. Uh, all right, let's get something. Again, like, I'm, I'm sure hopefully lots of you listening have lots of random, weird, bizarre Star Wars merchandise and toys. Uh, definitely hit us up on social or, or, or leave us a review and tell us uh, on Apple Podcasts and tell us your weirdest or favorite Star Wars toy because I love hearing about this stuff. I, I'm the kind of guy, Devin, I have multiple, not one book. I have multiple books that are just pictures 
of weird Star Wars toys. Oh yeah. Like, you know, like, and like our international versions of posters or international Star Wars serials, all that stuff. I'm fascinated by that. I am too. I love seeing every once in a while, something will go viral where it's just like, like some insane Jar Jar Binks toy from like the nineties. And everybody's like, Oh my God, I forgot that that existed. Um, and there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of good Star Wars merch. There's a lot of bad Star Wars merch, but man, it is an abundance of riches. There is yeah. so much weird stuff, and you know, um, you can't ask for for more than that. We love it. We might have to do a part two of this at some point. Talk about some of our other Star Wars toys of uh, of yesteryear or today, uh, because oh, yeah, that's the thing. I have like nine yeah. other things in my apartment right now that I could talk. About. Totally, hundred <laughs> percent. I wish I only had nine. Um, <laughs> we're totally gonna get. We'll have to, to do a part two at some point. All right. Uh, um, Enough of this tomfoolery. We actually have some Star Wars big shots to get to. Uh, I spoke with John Favreau and Dave Filoni at Star Wars Celebration. We chatted all about the Mandalorian and Ahsoka and Skeleton Crew and the new Star Wars movie that Mr. Filoni will be directing. We have that conversation all queued up and ready to rock, and it's coming up for you and only you right after this quick break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. First off, John, tell me how the big Lizzo and Jack Black cameo extravaganza <laughs> came to be. Tell me how that all went. We got, we got uh, Lizzo and Jack Black got involved because, honestly, one of the things that we really like about working on the show is we like to bring in people who are who are fans themselves and Lizzo and Jack Black both were very active on social media and we didn't know I I know Jack from way back but he was posting him uh, doing Mandalorian uh, things on on either it was Instagram or TikTok I don't know and 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 Lizzo was dressing up like uh, Grogu and my kids were showing me all these these videos of how much, how into it, uh, how into it Lizzo was. And so as we were figuring out, we, we had an episode that was going to have, uh, you know, this really eccentric royal couple in a court, like something that felt like something out of Alice in Wonderland. And, uh, and we reached out and they were like, we'd love to. And there's something really fun about being on the set with people who are excited to meet, you know, uh, Grogu. Cause it's, you know, it, it, it's a puppet but it's it's animatronic and it the the operators are uh you know you'll have like five people off to the side but it's radio controlled and it people mm. when they hold that little puppet it's like they're it's real. dealing with a real a real character so it was really fun and exciting on the set it was a chance for us cuz it's a pretty a lot of pretty heavy serious stuff happens this season so this was a really good this planet that we went to gave us permission to have a lot of fun with it and and uh, it, so it was, a, it, was a, it was a lot of fun. It was a blast on set. Uh, speaking of a lot of fun, I spent a lot of time with Ahmed Best years ago, wrote a big feature of him for EW. And so I was so excited to see him back. Mm-hmm. I feel like that Grogu flashback was incomplete. I feel like there's more there. So could we see more Keller and Beck at some point? I think it's always a possibility. I mean, we love Ahmed and he did such a great job. It was, 
a real thrill for us to, you know, get him involved. And, and, you know, we talked with him about it. We come up with these ideas and we think of like who might work with it. We make sure to, before we get too far, bring them into the process. So it's not just like, here's who you're going to play. It's like, what do you think of this? You know, we want you to be this person. What are your thoughts on it? Make it a real collaboration and think it's really key to the success of it. And, uh, you know, he, he has, I didn't know how much he knew about martial arts. Did you know that? Like yeah, coming no in idea. and then he's like showing us, he puts like a lightsaber and he's suddenly swinging it all around. And you're like, oh, okay. So you no, know, he says like Arnest, like he knows how to do double, yeah. double, double wielding. And, and he had worked, he had done a lot of work on that character yeah. of Kellerman Beck for uh, Jedi Temple Challenge. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he's been involved with Star Wars yeah. all the way through and, and definitely had, they had formulated this character, and, and we love to draw in, you know, from all of Star Wars yeah. and even things that aren't canon. If they feel right, we'll, we'll pull them in. And, and so that was, it just made sense, you know, because you're also looking at who, who could it be? You know, yeah. there's, who's on the list? You don't want to just put a Do Jedi in Do we even show there. a person, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. is it, that, everything's on the table at that point because, you know, you want it to be what everyone imagines it or dreams it to be and you know when we came up with the elevator yeah. and the door it's like yeah who's on the inside that door well you know, i think yeah. people people were pretty no happy. it was great it was yeah. great and now that character exists squarely in you know star wars canon and boy i think people dig seeing that character i love i yeah. want to learn more about that character it was fun watching him on set because we had clones and we had naboo guards and I think for him it was like a real flashback. Now, interesting because there wouldn't have been any clones on set because they were all digital in the prequels. But, you know, we actually had, you know, people in armor. Counterintuitively, <laughs> yeah. the, the more recent ones have yeah, the less CG characters. Yeah, yeah. But it was, uh, you know, I think he really paused and took it in. You know, when you're a veteran of this thing, I think uh, it hits you in a, probably a very different way. And, and you know, he, he worked with George, which is very special, such a you know, a close-knit group of people now. And uh, I think it's fun to have these people still included, like in Obi-Wan, you know, Hayden and Ewan. Like, how great was it just seeing them? Uh, so, you know, it, it, it lives on. Star Wars keeps uh, continuing in the best possible way. It's it's the best. And you guys have now, what, you have Mandalorian, you got yeah. Book of Boba Fett, you got Ahsoka, you got mm-hmm. Skeleton Crew, <laughs> yeah. all sort of taking place in yeah. the same time period. Yeah. You certainly have cross-pollinated a little bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dave, they just announced you're going to be directing a movie. Is, yeah. is that the place where we might see these forces all combined? We're, we're in the right area code. Yeah, <laughs> we're definitely in the right space. I think it's going to be a, a clamoring of characters saying, how do I get in this picture? <laughs> you know, And that's what John and I have been figuring out. I mean, I think for a long time, you know, as I've learned to work in this galaxy, it, it's a long play. And if things go right, you get to do more of your story mm-hmm. and things I think have broken in a good way for us. And, uh, people have enjoyed the characters, uh, that we've been, uh, making. So certain opportunities came up the further we kind of went along, you know, and, uh, it's a part of the timeline that probably for me and, and you growing up with the original trilogy, return of the Jedi was the end, but then you're always like, but what happens next? And then when episode seven was set, so many years later, like probably when I was a kid, I never would have thought it would have been that much later, but it made sense. It was basically real time. Yeah, yeah. it's almost real time. It, it, it created an opening where you go, wow, so a lot of the things maybe that, that we knew before are probably in there. How do we excavate that? And there, there's things that existed, because when mm-hmm. I was younger, we didn't have movies, but there were comic books, there yeah. were novels. 
So things that are sort of encompassed in the EU or legends, but those are, you know, a lot of that works very well mm-hmm. uh, with, you know, uh, clearly there's, there, are, there are decisions that have to be made to fit it all together. Mm-hmm. But for us, it's, it's, I think one thing we're in agreement about is that the characters, as special as they are, the story has to drive what characters are in, the, in it. Yeah. And, uh, and unlike how we play, we joke that it's like we're playing with action figures because uh, <laughs> it's like, what's in the box? Let's play with the, what's in the box, you know? And that's what you do when you're, when you're, uh, when you're playing and you're a kid. Uh, as we're getting deeper and deeper into this, it's, you start to have to, you know, really uh, map things out and figure out what that story is and then have the characters uh, arc and uh, uh, those characters fulfill what their growth cycle is and what their mythic journey is, their mythic uh, hero's journey is. And uh, those things have to fit together well. Otherwise, it won't feel like Star Wars. That's, that's always been George's base um, you know, uh, 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 objective is how does it, you know, he's a student of Joseph Campbell. How does it fit into the, a narrative that has the, the hero's journey involved? And so as we have more and more characters line up, you have to figure out how those characters are arcing and, and if it feels ultimately like a Star Wars story. Uh, speaking of Star Wars stories, you've got the shirt on, so let's, let's mm-hmm. talk Ahsoka. It, is, is this essentially season five of Rebels? <laughs> well, that's an interesting question. I mean, I suppose that's one way of looking at it because of the epilogue that I did in Rebels. You know, it, uh, it definitely, all signs are indicating that uh, there is a continuation. I, you know, for me, when I'm telling those stories, I don't, I don't limit things. I, I did an animation, so I would do it distinctly different in live action. I, there's just the story that it is, and I was telling it in one medium. Like, Rebels is a different style than Clone Wars, even, uh, visually. That changed the way I could execute certain things in Rebels. Uh, so the story has kind of evolved since I worked on Rebels, uh, working with John and kind of setting things down in The Mandalorian created an opportunity to see how does Ahsoka work as a character in live action. Because, you know, I don't know, like with the, you know, the, the head tails and the makeup, like what does that look like? Can a performer bring that to life in a way that is meaningful and, and people love that character? So is it going to feel right to them? Is it going to re- feel right to us? And I was very fortunate. The whole thing kind of came together for me with Rosario when uh, we talked with her and when she, you know, put on the costume and became Ahsoka, I was like, you know, this is going to work. It really kind of was as simple as that. And uh, it goes back to a a quote that uh, Kathleen Kennedy gave me when I was really going over the casting of Ahsoka. And I said, how do you know when it's the right person? And she just looked at me and said, Dave, you just know. And she's been a part of so many films that I, I love growing up. It's like, again, I'm in a very privileged position to have a mentor like her advising me and just giving you the knowledge that you need to make the choices creatively that, that, that you end up doing. And uh, she was right. I just knew when it was Roe. And that kind of brought Ahsoka together uh, for me uh, when I got to make the episode. And off we ran. What about John with Skeleton Crew? Because I'm very curious tonally. Mm-hmm. about the show. Is this sort of tonally going to feel similar to Mando or Book of Boba Fett or is there uh, a little more sense of wonder to it mm-hmm. since it's sort of a, a, you know, from a, I don't know if I'd say a child's point of view, but, you know, it, it, it harkens back to some of those 80s Amblin vibes. Uh, one of the things we, we really like about uh, what the shows that we've been working on have turned into is that it, 
the tone of each episode and in certain cases each series really reflects the storyteller or the filmmaker. So in The Mandalorian, you could have many different tones, even though the writing is consistent across them, different uh, filmmakers will bring different perspectives. And so each episode hopefully feels different, though they should sit alongside one another. With Skeleton Crew, uh, it, it, I would go even further there because it's, it's, it's Watson Ford and a whole array of wonderful directors. Some have worked with us before, some who haven't. And so each episode has its own feel to it. But the cohesive strand of, of the tone is definitely inspired by, uh, you know, it's interesting because, you know, Kathy Kennedy's, the, <laughs> you know, running Lucasfilm. And so when John Watson and Chris Ford come in and talk about wanting to do something that feels like an Amblin movie <laughs> and has that tone... It's like you're speaking right to the person who is there and knows the, you know, the 11 herbs and spices that go into it. So uh, so it's interesting hearing them pitch and how she reacts to that, Mm -hmm. Uh, because, you know, before any of this, Kathy was a, you know, you just look at the producing resume. That was that was how she came into the business. And and so working with filmmakers like Watson Ford, as they're talking about it, it becomes a really interesting collaboration. Because it's like, let's pick the right cast. How does this fit? But it also has to feel like Star Wars. So, and Star Wars is interesting because it's, you know, when people think of Star Wars as a genre, it really is a, is, is a number of subgenres within the Star Wars genre. So, and, and because those are George's influences. So it could feel like a Western. It could feel like a World War II film. It could feel like a samurai film. And so you could push limits and especially in clone wars they 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 deviated into many different to thrillers and to noir and uh different types of adventures and different tones so th- i think that's what's keeping us also engaged and why filmmakers like to come through and why i'm continuing my collaboration here is because it's never like you're just doing one thing there's always room and as long as you a- adhere to a certain aesthetic and we all agree uh, that it feels like, is it Star Wars or not? If it feels like it's Star Wars, there's a lot of room for how you can move around. And it's interesting, too, as you see the panel and these great mm-hmm. trailers, how different they all are, but how they all sit together. You know, you would never group them together, but thanks to the world that George created, they all feel like they share a common, a common uh, underlying aesthetic. Thanks to John Favreau and Dave Filoni for being with us this week. And thank you for joining the party as well. If you have just 30 seconds to spare, please follow, rate, and review the podcast. That would be super cool, and we would really appreciate it. Might even read it and give you a shout-out on the pod. You can connect with us on social media by following Entertainment Weekly on all socials. It's at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag and follow us directly using at Dalton Ross and at Devin Kogan. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll do it all over again next week. This episode of Dagobah Dispatch Podcast is hosted and produced by Dalton Ross and Devin Kogan. Produced and edited by Sammy Junio. Executive produced by Chanel Johnson. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening and may the force be with you.